Hey everybody, today we're going to be discussing Aliens, the 1986 sequel to the movie Alien. We do recommend you watch it before listening to the podcast. It makes the experience more enjoyable. So Mike, what is Aliens about? Well, John, Aliens is a one-in-a-kind flick in James Cameron's filmography and a true detour for a filmmaker who's usually 100% allergic to humor of any kind. It's a strange, abstract work of surrealism that only could have been created at the height of the 80s cocaine era that aims to blast off and invite us into this absurdist allegorical landscape acting as a mirror to our own world. This upside-down reality in which, bizarrely, corporate greed does not have humanity's best interests at heart and where militarized white men ignore the advice of competent women, even to their own destruction. An act of masculine hubris that only produces death, doom, and despair for the whole family. Which, of course, would never happen in real life, making Aliens Cameron's most wacky and out-there project, and personally a film that I give two woke out of five stars. No, no. Oh, no. (laughs) The end came out of nowhere. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Oh well, it was beautiful until the last until the last sentence. You lost me a little bit. What? That was the best part. Uh, welcome to this film could be your life. until the end i was like i mean you're not that wrong (laughs) it it is a weirdly i I even texted you that right like it's it's weird how cameron as like the scion of quadruple a billion dollar movies hates corporations so much i know one of his movies so wild it's like what Hey everybody, welcome once again to This Film Could Be Your Life, the movie podcast where two friends take the films that they love way too seriously. My name is Jonathan Devine. I'm joined as always by Mike Overstreet. Hello! And yeah, on this episode we're discussing Aliens from 1986, the sci-fi action film written and directed by maybe the most frequent appearance on this podcast. That's so upsetting. James Cameron, not upsetting, I mean... Speak for yourself. I'm 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 on board. John, look Written into my by, eye. <laughs> Written and directed by James Cameron. It's the sequel to Alien, which of course we've already covered. And I you can tell. Fourth. You can tell because they put a two at the end of the word for this one. Right. They, uh, we're just gonna get to that later. Sigourney <laughs> Weaver returns as Ellen Ripley, who agrees to return to the planet where the original alien egg hatched in order to investigate a human colony that has suddenly ceased communication. Weird it choice. Also stars Michael, it also stars Michael Bean, Paul Reiser, Lance Henriksen, Carrie Henn, Jeanette Goldstein, and Bill Paxson. Woo. It's produced by Gail Ann Hurd, cinematography by Adrian Biddle, and it was edited by Ray Lovejoy. And the music was by James Horner. Uh, my favorite uh, composer, just if you're curious. Just want to sneak that one in there. We're going to get to it later, but Jimmy. amazing score of this movie. Um, two gems. Didn't even yeah, think about who that. Who would have thought? We start by talking about our history with this movie. Uh, you know, Mike, I'm, I'm. if I was a better podcaster, I would have gone back to the Alien podcast and checked on if you had weighed in on this yet. Hmm. Did you watch these two movies close to each other? Was it like 
Because obviously <laughs> they were both out well before either of us were born. Uh, so were no, you like alien no. aliens? I'm in. It, this is you have like I don't even know if we did touch on this in the last one. Um, aliens. I saw. We didn't. I saw aliens first. Uh, Whoa. And this this goes back to my father being my father because he definitely. I love the. Can I tell you this is my favorite thing about when yeah, we do yeah. like horror and sci-fi movies is hearing how you watched it too yeah. early. So yeah, keep going. I definitely did. Definitely did. Um, he convinced. I'm pretty sure my mom. One of the selling points for why you should show us this to us. We are too young. Was that it was an action film instead of a horror film, and thus it was like more appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> tough so, i mean he's right sort of no it's way more violent it's it, like it's just way more like it probably would have been less upsetting i think that's true like i actually think alien yeah. probably would have been more upsetting but this movie is still very upsetting <laughs> so yeah this, there's a lot of we're gonna get well actually sorry keep going yeah 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 so anyways i saw it too young i saw this one first saw alien a few couple of years later probably um found alien less entertaining and then i i know we talked about this in the alien pod when i it was in college i came back to both movies and that's where my affinity for them flipped and the original became my favorite of the two but that sure. being said i love this movie i had every alien xenomorph action figure ever and that was largely nice. because of like the action of this film this is like if if i geek out about the first one as a film nerd I geek out about this one because I'm a film lover. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is one of those movies that just gets my heart going. We'll talk about this, I'm sure. It's I think it's the best action movie ever made. I'm just going to put my flag sure. down right now. Just go for it. Um, just, just get out there. Yeah. And Hot that's, be, that's because I saw it at the ripe old age of five or whatever. So. <laughs> I think I. it's hard to disagree with a lot of that. I think, um, so, you know, I, I, I do think, I got to both of them much later. I'm sure I got, I went over this in the alien podcast as well. They both. So my whole thing was that I hated horror movies, right? Actually kind of still do. That's not too much of a secret. It's Barbarian next week. Uh, mm, I'm going to go ahead. You know, if you want to solo pod that one, Ooh. please feel free. Boy, do go I go for it. Come with uncle Two Mike hours, down Mike to the Airbnb dungeon. Oh, <laughs> uh, you really could. I believe you. Um, didn't watch these movies for a long time. Definitely into adulthood because they were just famously terrifying and horrifying. Uh, definitely saw them in order. I saw Alien and then Aliens. And actually, if I remember correctly, and it'd be hysterical if I said something different in the first podcast and, and I got corrected somehow. But if I remember correctly, I saw Alien because I wanted to see Aliens. Because at some point I became a big James Cameron fan, mm. big action movie fan. Yeah didn't want to just see aliens without seeing the original it's a sequel and so I, I i kind of vaguely recall like watching alien almost as a requirement to watch the movie i really wanted to watch um i think your take is pretty like on the nose just in terms of my oh actually as i'm thinking about this i guess maybe we're saying different things slightly so for hmm. me alien is what i will always point to as like technically the superior film like it's yeah. objectively like yeah. almost a perfect movie we're saying the same thing but yeah six days a week if you ask me what do you want to put on alien yeah. or aliens i'm probably going to say aliens 100%. right like this movie is as actually where, where alien is very effect like not affecting like emotionally is very like primally affecting right is a very like you know instinctual horror movie i guess is maybe the word i'm looking for it preys on some deep part of you in terms of fear 
this movie is an action movie in terms of it's just fun. Like, sure, it gets pretty gory, it gets pretty, pretty freaky, pretty terrifying, but mostly it's like really engaging. It's just yeah, like exciting. Yeah. It's like a roller coaster movie, you know. Um, and it's oh my god, it's it's. A, I don't want to keep talking. We're gonna get into well, what no, works, so I, I'll I, save it for just a second. I, I think that's astute, and that is exactly what I was saying. Yeah. Like, I admire Alien. I could think about Alien's complex themes for much longer. And, like, more nerdy, if you want to use a derogatory term like that. Or if you want nerd to be derogatory. I wouldn't. But, like, I could geek out about it. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. But when it comes mm-hmm. to, like, what do I, how do I want to spend a Friday night? Dude. Yeah. It's always aliens. I mean, yeah. All the way down to the fact that this movie's not going to ask me to think about the other. It's going to be like, hey, do you want to watch uh, Bill Paxton blast the other? And like and just like drive in a tank and run over things and fight a queen. You're like, yeah, I do. It's not James a Cameron. I do indeed want to do that. So yeah, so you I may, had me at hello. Technically, yeah. thematically, the first one is far more dense and rich. But in terms of like a film, this is like heaven. This is how you want to go. Or this is what you want to see at the cinema. And having said that, I, I would also maybe put in a quick note that the second one gets a little slept on in terms of its thematic resonance. Oh, no, I don't think no. It's, a, it's, it's, it's not quite, slouching by any means. It's so hidden and, and so subversive yeah. and so unclear what he wants you to think. No, okay, we'll get to that later. <laughs> I guess my point is mostly that we're going to get into it. Did but, you but get just that corporations briefly, are bad, John? I think... I think that, like, just be- the fact that he makes something that is so broadly appealing doesn't inherently take away from no. the resonance of the no. piece, is, but is it, my point. But it's not, um, trying, it's not trying to be unclear or opaque yeah. or, or to get yeah. you to wrestle in a way that is... Um, symbolic. It's not yeah. trying to be symbolic in any way. Yeah. It's like, now nah, everything's pretty much what it... The, 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 the matriarch themes are pretty much right there. Yeah. Does it give you... You don't have to guess on that one. They they kind of just say it, but it's great. I love it for it's that. It's the best. Uh, the last thing, or go ahead. Nope, just said it's the best. I love it. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say before we get into it, just because I kind of don't have another spot to put this, is that when I saw the movie for the first time, there was a little bit of that. Um, there's a TV Tropes article for this, and the, the article is titled Seinfeld Isn't Funny. <laughs> it's nothing yeah. to do with the show Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. The, the the trope is about the idea of like something groundbreaking comes along and then other things rip it off. But then someone born late enough first encounters the other things. And when they go back to the groundbreaking thing, it's hard to recognize what was groundbreaking about it. A little bit of that applies to this because while I never watched these movies, I played Halo Combat Evolved yeah. a lot as a kid. A game which, while great... So one-to-one rips off this Space Marine Xenomorph situation that it's, like, it's unimaginable. Like, yeah, the whole, yeah. like, little helmet camera thing, the, the sneaking into the base and slowly seeing creepier and creepier stuff. It just literally does all those things. Yeah. So I think it was funny when I first saw the movie that I was a little bit like, oh, this is just Halo. <laughs> I'm just watching Halo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gets a little different after that but i just didn't have anywhere else to put that so i wanted to mention that here it was very influential and that made it an interesting first watch given how much media after the fact just sort of one-to-one ripped it off yeah um having said that let's talk about why it was so influential we'll start by talking about why this movie works get into why it doesn't work we'll have some stray thoughts and some dialogue later but 
Let's just start, Mike. We've already kind of been sneaking up on it. Why does this movie work? Um, there's so many things to talk about. It's hard to know where to start, but as broad of a topic as it is, I, I do kind of want to start with the story yeah. and, and I guess the writing specifically. Because <sighs> uh, this is a James Cameron classic. And yes. I really mean that. This is like John, the epitome. I, I just need to stop you real quick. Because okay. you're going to be happy about this. Quote oh. from my notes. My yeah, first me. my first what worked. Hate to say it, but the most obvious answer for this is James effing Cameron. Damn. Done. That's just a beautiful sentence. Proceed. I'm just going <laughs> to proceed. I'm just going to make that the tagline of this whole podcast now. Oh, my God. You're right. No, uh, I'm, just, but I, it's I'm glad we're starting here. You're absolutely right. The man, the myth, the legend. Well, and- and, and really, like, when you look at this movie, again, from the story, like, the overarching story perspective, I think it, it does highlight what he's so good at. Mm-hmm. Because this is really, at its core, a very simple story. Like, this isn't meant to dazzle you with the intricacies of the plot, right? It's like, nah, everything's kind of straightforward. There's a, there's enough twists and, and different things that y- it keeps you in. But I think what really sells you on this is all of the small details the yeah. small character things the yeah. the nuance the little those little moments that make it kind of have so much more edge and so much more urgency and makes you so much more invested i literally could think of like six of these but just one off the top of my head literally like just one random example i can think of the extra story tension of lieutenant gorman not having had a real crew or mission before this Mm. and thus not having like the trust of his team and watching that fall apart when he first tries to coach them or to to radio, you know, I I don't know what that's called, like lead them as they're going into the nest, watching his kind of arc as he gets humbled by that and has that beautiful moment right before they die. That was the the original Fast (laughs) and the Furious La Familia scene. That was it. It really that, is, though. And, it is, and, yeah. You know, again, it actually is an affecting moment because they've been having so much issues that whole time. Technically, all of this is not critical to the story. Like yeah. a Disney producer would probably be like, cut that out. Like, what's that doing here? But it adds so much depth to the relationships. Like this movie lives on all of these characters interacting yeah. with each other. It's not yeah. about the monsters. It's about the humans. And I think like that kind of detail is what really pushes over the edge in terms of other action movies. Because we're going to get into all the action, crazy, yeah. blow up stuff later. But without that side of it, without the engaging story, you don't want to keep watching, you know? Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I mean, to kind of tangent off of that, but still to keep it at yeah, this kind of... Yeah, anything you have on like the story or the writing, well, go for it. Yeah, yeah it, mostly it's just the, the broader vision of his to to make the call to flip from horror to action. You know, that's one of those things that in hindsight we assume was like obvious or makes a lot of sense. But was, I mean, that had to be mm. such a a gamble in the moment to literally be like, hey, I'm going to take this. You know, it was Alien was a hit, but it wasn't like a world shattering, life changing, like sure fired success for a sequel kind of a movie. And then to say, not yeah. only do I, do I want this huge budget to make this sequel, but I'm going to change the genre entirely. Like that, that's a lot. That, that is a, a bold decision. And yet mm. it succeeds because of, of what he brought to it in terms of just those small decisions. I mean, the very idea of switching the film from focusing on one stalking alien to like a horde of swarming aliens 
is one of those things that you're like, uh, I don't know if I would have thought of that as being kind of like the next step in this franchise. And yet it is by far, I think the most successful visual element of the film in many ways. It's what Absolutely. sets it apart. The, the best is that it, it's kind of like the more of everythingness of James Cameron was perfect for this specific universe story and, uh, you know, vision of alien life. And, and I don't know, I, I, it's hard to like really get farther into the movie without starting there. And in each step of the way though, I guess is all I'm trying to say is these are some really brilliant choices that paid off. So we kind of downplay them now, but you have to imagine were huge risks for his career in the moment. Um, and it is why the movie's freaking successful. I don't know. I mean, I love every time how ballsy it is that he starts this as like a straight sequel to the original where it picks up right after the yeah. last one left off. And yet then it flips into being a completely other movie after the first hallucination of the chest burster. I mean, it's so cool. And that's, yeah, yeah. It just takes guts, man. It's a ballsy thing to do. Well, and, and you said it too, that it's so, I, I think that he has such a good vision for, you know, what is this movie on its own going to succeed at being right? Like, I think he's good at, at casting. You know, it's funny. I say this having not seen the new avatar. So I don't know if he continues the trend, but you know, for a while there, if we just excluding that he's literally well known for basically saying, I'll make a sequel, but I don't want to just retread the same ground. Yeah. Right. Cause the other great example of this is obviously Terminator two. That was his own series. So I think it, like it was a little bit of an easier pitch, like him changing it. But the the shift in tone from Terminator to Terminator 2 is very similar, right? Mm -hmm. That that total like, hey, I don't want to retread the horror thing again. Let's just make this action. Let's make this fun, exciting, thrilling, you know, blood pumping. It's you're right. I think it's a gutsy move, especially when there's when you're following up a revered film that you yourself didn't make, but it succeeds so, so wildly. Um I have a couple more specific call outs on the story of scripts. Is that okay? I can just kind of yeah, just kind of get those out real quick. I think one that, that is actually a little bit broader, but I do think is really important. There's always clear, there, there's always some thing that is clearly propulsing the action that's yes. pushing the story forward. First, we're trying to find the colonists and the whole first act of the movie is basically that pushing slowly closer inner and inner and inner to this like you know horrifying uh uh colony that, that's broken down um but then notice that as soon as they find them they they have the whole encounter with the aliens all of them die right at that moment we introduce the melting reactor right mm -hmm. we introduce something that again creates this external urgency to the story and then they they have the reactor figured out sort of they have bishop bringing down the ship what happens? The the alien swarm finds them and overruns them, and now they're running. There's always something happening that's making the story like forcefully pushing it forward. That's the kind of thing that an amateur writing an action movie doesn't think of, right? Yeah. They just kind of have things happen. But a perfect like like the the really pro, like the gifted writer that he is, like he knows that that's what keeps you watching. That's why it's a it's not a short movie. But I feel like you can put this on and, you know, where, wherever you're at, you're just in and you're going to yeah. be locked in for the next two hours or whatever, because you're always kind of at the edge of your seat, just so wanting to see whatever is going to happen next, which I guess is the pacing as well, you know, at that point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't really get farther 
into the movie than than just like acknowledging that opening brilliance of the 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 stretch with the marines to start the film you know and and you talk about writing you talk about pacing you talk about character relationships i think one of the most brilliant parts of this movie is that he introduces these marines like they actually matter right like these are some badasses who are about to go like stomping in to save the day all just so the aliens can like slaughter them like children in one of the greatest action sequences ever and that's such a a Again, these are things that we look at in hindsight. We're like, well, duh, that's just great filmmaking. Or that's just, of course, it works. That's such a creative thing to do that, you know, most action directors just wouldn't even think to, like, take a risk like that. To be like, no, let's wait. Yeah. Let's let's spend 10 extra minutes showing the banter between these Marines, even though we know they're not going to make it out of the first 20 minutes of the film. Let's spend some time here. Yeah. Because what that's going to do is it's going to make the stakes of their, like, defeat all that much bigger and it's going to make the franticness of the chase after that all that much like scarier because we know what this horde has already done to the most ba people on earth right so it better not catch our main characters and it's just that's just really unbelievably smart stuff in terms of a slow build and then creating like that like you're saying that propulsion that once it goes off this movie never stops and uh yeah i'm just with you i'm always like really impressed by that opening stretch more though when it comes to that that kind of concept you're laying out i always think about this specifically i i agree with i totally agree with everything you said i i always think of this specifically with the sergeant because yeah. i love that character i think he's so much fun and he dies so quickly yeah and not even brutally you don't even really see no, it he just sort he, of is gone. not to mention he's just trying to talk to the cop he's just like yeah. what is that what is that what is that and he just gets grabbed and you're just like yep hey, that's it he's got like <laughs> And it's exactly what you said. Like you have now formed even a mind, like even the little characterization he gives you is strong enough that you're like, I kind of like that guy. Oh my God, he's gone. You know? And now what anything can happen now, anything can happen to any of these characters. And I just totally agree with you. You you draw that connection with the characters and it makes all of these stakes. So hit so much harder. Um, This connection might be a stretch, but I'm going to go for it anyways. I think, a huge part of that as well, and this is kind of my last thing I wrote down for like the the specific elements of the story and writing I wanted to call out. Like a huge part of why this movie works for me is that for a horror ish, you know, it is an action movie, but it is still horror adjacent. For a horror movie, the characters are so rational. I think yeah. that is also like a really underrated part of the movie is that. They know they don't make any decisions that have you screaming at the TV, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, they they find the crazy, scary alien things. Really, there's not much. There's not really a discussion. They're kind of just like, cool, let's kill them. Right. Yeah. Like, obviously, there's the Paul Reiser thing, but they kind of just all say, no, nope, yeah, we're going to we're going to nuke these guys. They got betrayed by Paul Reiser. Cool. Let's kill him. I mean, they don't get a chance to, but they all pretty quickly are just like, yeah, he's going to kill us. So no worries. Nuke gets lost. We're not going to have a discussion. We're not going to have a fake dramatic argument about priority. They're just both like, okay, we're going to find her. You know, I, I just think that's so important because again, normally there's this verisimilitude thing that takes you out of these kinds of movies where characters in order to, again, with weaker writers, you know, in order to make the characters do interesting things, you have to make them, you have to have them make these stupid decisions. And I think it's just so underrated that he made this story work despite the characters all making basically the right decisions at every point, right? Except for the overarching decision to go there in the first place. Yeah. Everyone acts rationally the whole time. 
And that's really critical because it lets you empathize with them better. You connect to them better. You think like, man, that's what I would have done. And I guess I would have died. Uh, I just think that's so critical in making, like you said, it just makes the stakes of the story so much yeah. higher. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the areas where it does have a uh, overlap with one of the great successes of the original. You know, the, the strength yeah, of the totally original agree. is that you find yourself in these believable characters who far by and large make decisions that you're like, yeah, I wouldn't have done any better. Um, and that's so something you would that, have gotten into the air duct in, uh, like the captain in, in alien. One. Oh no, no, that, that would have been a hell no for me, dog. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, nah, I'm going to go hide in the escape pod and leave. <laughs> so, like, that's the only, that's my like, only, I agree with you overall, but besides that part of the first one is that, yeah, I would have been like, nah, peace. I'm out. Yeah. No, nah, I, I don't get paid enough for this shit. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> all time i don't get paid enough for this is the first movie second one i think but and you know actually as we're talking about it that is such a critical part of the second of this movie yes yes. is that there's a reason why the characters are going like like just thinking we got this like it shows their hubris it shows they're like we got guns what do we have to be worried about and then that adds so much story um, investment for when they obviously because you know immediately it's like now they're all gonna yeah, die you're all like, dead. this is not gonna work yeah. out but you're just invested to see that and it work it pays off so well i'm with you uh i've been talking a lot what do you got for for why kind of big point unless you had anything else on the story um no no i i think i'm gonna pair this with the other part of this movie that i think keeps it in my memory as much as anything else and that is holy action sequence, Batman. We can just yeah. dive into why this is my favorite action movie ever made. Um, already talked about the opening sequence, but my goodness, the slow descent into the colony with like the camera feed, <sighs> such a good touch. So good. When the exoskeleton walls show up and they encounter the first person stuffed into the walls and you're just like, oh my God. And then there's the living kid who opens the eyes and says, kill me. And then... Yeah. The hive starts waking up and all the aliens start uncurling and the room's alive. And oh my God, John, it is one of the best action sequences literally ever made. It is propulsive. It is violent. It is hostile. It is terrifying. It is filled with the best kind of practical effects, which is probably something we should talk about in its own category. But for now, it is the highlight to me of a film that has three or four different action sequences that all stand atop of this entire genre. So, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I can't say enough in agreement. I think like if you think about the first movie, I think like the moment where this movie really turns like obviously it's it's a different movie in general. But if you had to point to one like character moment that defines like, OK, we're in action movie territory now and happens to be, I think, one of my favorite moments of the movie, you know, Everything is is just falling apart with the alien, or sorry, with the Marines, right? Uh, they're getting overwhelmed by the aliens. Uh, Lieutenant Gorman is totally like in shock, basically, is totally useless. And I think the key moment of the movie is when Ripley says, "God damn it!" and goes over to the to the steering wheel and is like, "I'm gonna drive, drive this drive tank and just <laughs> take care of this." And you're yeah. like. In the, like I can't I can I have to imagine that in the theaters like you had to like you could have cheered at that moment right yeah because it's what you have want to. you want have someone to be like I'm gonna take control and I'm gonna fix this this is a problem and that's the energy brought to the movie and that's the energy brought to that scene and it's why and I think that's like again the motivating factor behind the action 
And then everything that happens is just so awesome and just looks so good. The, the freaking car driving over the aliens, you know, the acid when they're shooting at it and then it sprays over the guy. And oh my God, it's, it's so just great. Good. And it's, it, it's just thrilling. Like you're well, just, I think it's like a 20 or 30 minute stretch. You're on yeah. the edge of your seat. Absolutely. Until the plane crashes, I think it doesn't really let up. Another great sequence, mind you. Um, God dang, that's so good. Anyway, actually, yeah. there's a decision yeah, I yeah. wouldn't have made when I touched the goo on the side of the ship, and she's like, "Don't worry about it." I've been like, eh, "I think we should." <laughs> I think maybe I'm we pretty, should. I'm, I think the only I actually thought about that because I thought about it as a potential plot hole. I think the only plot hole is not the right word, but like something that can take you out of the movie. I think the one thing I will grant is that we don't necessarily get the impression that they were like privy to everything that just happened. Like, I kind of felt like they were just sitting there, like, chilling, like, not necessarily aware of the whole alien situation. Yeah. So maybe that's why she's just like, I mean, who cares? Like, what? Oh, my God. Goo? What a huge deal. We're supposed to pick up our team. Like, get out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fair. That's fair. That's I mean, if you only... want to die, that's cool. Um, <laughs> it's cool, John. It's cool. I'll just say it. Yeah, uh, so... That death also somehow seemed all, like, more brutal, even though you don't see anything. Oh, like, yeah. Maybe just because it seems like the scariest one. Like, well, suddenly, so, in a small compartment and turning around, there's a freaking alien there. It's like, no way. So no there's way. there's out. two visuals that every time I watch this movie, and it, and they relate to the, the great action of it, that just, like, stick in my mind in terms of, like, the violence and the horror of it. And it's always that scene. It's always her turning around. It's grimacing at her, and it goes, and then, you know, she dies. And blood sprays. I do like that she grabs her gun though. That yeah, she goes for it. She does. Yeah. God bless her. Uh, and then the other one is part of my second favorite action sequence, which is when Hicks gets pulled through the floor. Or uh, not Hudson. Sorry, when Hudson gets dragged through the floor. Oh, and that's tough. another one. I, I just, I'm so sad because I, I love know. Hudson so much. God bless. It's, uh, uh, but we're it's great. Talk, You're right. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But <laughs> but but that's another one of those. I think what so the first sequence is my favorite and that's the one where it's just sure. James Cameron it's on one. I mean that is just like James Cameron being James Cameron to the max. This sequence where they what I love about the sequence where Hudson dies is that in so many ways it kind of like encapsulates how they take the really cool ideas of the first movie really cool elements and then bang them up to a thousand in this kind of action uh, genre kind of a way. Because if you think yeah. about it, that scene is identical to Dallas's, in which it's like you got the beeping in the background. You're like, we don't know where it is. He's turning quarters. They're like, we don't. It's on top of us. You have to get out of there. But that scene ends with a jump scare and then a cut to black, right? In which it's just like he's gone, yeah. and you never you see the alien flash, and that's it. This scene, all that beeping and all that, it's on top of us, ends with my boy Hicks looking in the ceiling. And seeing an army of these suckers coming through, and then it goes into like a straight shootout that is just yeah. absolutely breathtaking. And it's one of those like beautifully shot that red lighting everywhere. Is, oh my god! Oh, yeah. it's so yeah. cool. And it's just one of those moments where it reminds you of like the scale of this movie, how it really, really does take successful elements. Like I said, I already said this, but takes the successful elements of the original and just warps them to this new setting in a way that is just awesome. Yeah. Also, the character moment of of Higgs in that, but we'll get to that. We're gonna get to we're gonna get to Paxson. We're gonna get Paxson. Yeah. Um, totally agree. I, I think the only other call I want to make in terms of action is like, well, it's actually funny because you said those were your favorite action scenes, but neither of those are my two favorite action scenes. Whoa. One of which I'm kind of trying to decide if it is an action scene because a lot of it is just build up, but like the sequence starting with Ripley 
going down the elevator to rescue Newt. At the oh end. my God. Like yeah. partially it's I, I, what I'm realizing is like, is there actually that much action in this? It's all cause it's so much build up, but like the tension building as she is, it's first of all, I just want to say possibly the most badass scene of any character in any movie ever. Yeah. But Ripley going down the elevator and like freaking suiting up, getting her flamethrower ready, getting all of this ready the resolve in her face. It's such a good performance. We're, we're going to have to talk about performance. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the resolve and the intensity and like the, the countdown timer as they're reminding us that the whole place is blowing up in a few minutes and the door opens and she just has to go out there and find new. And you're and I'm just like, I'm in, I'm more yeah. in than I've been in on any movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, Oh my gosh. It's so cool. And then, yeah, I mean the last fight with that queen First of all, just the just the like one more moment of yeah. like you think you're safe and then Bishop gets ripped in two, which oh also my is very God. distressing. So yeah. upsetting. Very distressing because you, you at that point you 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 love Bishop and you're just I like, know. Oh my and God. He, he finally got an add a boy from Ripley. <laughs> I know. It's so it's half. so gutty. I if he actually died, that would make it so much worse. The fact well, that he, he lives he does, makes though. it easier to watch. But they all they all um, died but her. Okay. Well, I, I, we we're gonna get to that actually. Uh, I personally don't consider anything <laughs> after Aliens to be canon, like genuinely, because yeah. I'm so I mad you. at the beginning of Aliens Three. Yeah, I'm just like, no, that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but no, that last fight. So first of all, just the Chekham or sorry, the Chekhov gun thing of the loading suit. Yeah, like absolutely. again, storytelling, like the fact that we get that context of her you know being a loader and having that great little moment with the sergeant and with hicks at the beginning great stuff and it pays off so well when she when she brings that thing out um and i just wanted to ask you mike like this could have even been a straight thought or something like that but in all of action movie history has a one-liner ever been as earned as get away from her you bitch Ooh, that's a that's a good question the only one that comes close off the top of my head is welcome to earth actually, that's actually i actually agree with you that those would be one and two right yeah, like they're, they're duking it out for goat status yeah absolutely no this is my favorite one for sure i actually do love it's welcome incredible to earth. i am making a joke but i also think that's like ironically awesome anyway this is not ironic i wouldn't even say this is fantastic i'm just gonna go on record but go ahead yeah, yeah, yeah. We get, we'll do it. Save it for the Independence Day pod, <laughs> Yeah, no, this is the best. And it's such a, it's so, like you said, it's earned. She delivers it great. We're going to have to get to Sigourney soon. We've already said that once. But uh, it is as climactic of a, like, is, is it? Hmm. You already brought up the Seinfeld isn't funny stuff. Is this the action one-liner version of that? Where it's like, there was all these action sure. one-liners through the 80s. And it was all like evolving for this moment, and now they all look stupid in hindsight. Like, do you think that's what it is? Because that's how it kind of feels. It's, it's a good question. Like you're saying, like this encap this this epitomizes it so much that it almost makes the the medium. It almost makes the artistic statement of the action one liner moot. Yes. It's like, what are you gonna do? Hundred percent. Yeah. 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 I could I could totally get behind that idea because <laughs> I can't think of any after this point. That I mean, I'm you know Schwarzenegger has his run, whatever, but. I don't know. It's so good. Yeah. Again, a, a cheering moment, as dumb as it sounds. You want to cheer. You're just so yeah, hyped. Absolutely. Um, also, and, and this could apply to all the action, but I think about this with that last fight with the queen a lot. And we're just going to get, let's just get on our old people soapbox for a moment, Mike. Okay. Ah! A, sl a, a, 
that's your old people sofa. Um, a slow, deliberate fight scene where I can tell what's going on. Oh my god! Like, I'm just so I was just in heaven. I just wrote in my notes, God, I miss pre 2000s action. Yeah, I do. It's yep. sl- like, you know, it's not like even like people are going to be like, oh, well, John Wick exists. But even John Wick is still moving very fast. Like it's it is. Yeah. This stuff really takes its time. Like it's so, like there's weight behind things. Right. Ah, it's so good. Yeah. I just love it. And that applies pretty much to all the action. I think like there's a lot of tangibility to it. Heaviness to it. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, it's you. it's so good. Uh, we we have to do the actors. It's 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 too much at this point. <sighs> we got to talk yeah. about. The lead of this movie was Carrie nominated Hen. for an Academy Award for an action movie. Mike, why don't you just say? Because I feel like I keep taking all the best stuff. Sigourney Weaver, what do you got? Like, oh my like, gosh, what is there um, to say? It can't, this movie was so successful, and she was so successful in it that I'm always caught off guard when I go back and watch the original, and she isn't the biggest badass on earth. Um, yeah. she so deeply and so profoundly innovates upon and redefines the action heroine, the action hero, action superstar in this film that it's almost impossible to imagine Ripley being anything but this. Same with for Sigourney Weaver as an actress. I'm actually would be very interested to hear her talk about how much this changed her perception as like a, an actress moving forward throughout the rest of her career. Because this definitely seems like one of those performances that she so deeply and perfectly embodies that it would typecast her for the rest of her life. Um, sure. She rules in this movie. She flips from like that scream queen in the original, which isn't really what she is in the original, but I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah, to, like closer, said, the, closer to that than to this, yeah. Yeah, to a total rock star in this. I mean, she does all sorts of complex stuff in the midst of just also being the magnetism at the center of the movie. She does a great job emotionally working in like the PTSD early in the film. The connection with Newt gets me more than I think it's going to literally every single yeah. time. Um, the secret it feels heart so of the movie. Yeah. earned by the end. Yeah, yeah. And, but more than that, I mean, again, she just becomes like the truest action star of our generation by the second half of the movie. The suit battle, yeah. the queen, you already brought that up. That's all her. The icon, like, iconography of all of it. I don't know how you even think about this movie without thinking of her flamethrower on her hip or her standing in that suit and just being like, that's what this movie's about. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can agree more. I wrote if this was the only movie she was ever in, she would be an all-time action star. Yep. Right. She yep. she would be one of the greats just just from this movie. And she has a lot of other pulls, but it's so good. And just one other thing I want to add that I think is I I, I remember reading this in in an uh, article, and this was years ago. I don't remember what it was, but talking about too the way that she is made to be a powerful badass, but not at the expense of her femininity, which is yeah. actually a big deal. That like a lot of a lot of action things you'll look at will kind of do this little move of like, oh, we're all about female empowerment. But the way they do it is by making the women seem extremely masculine in their strength and power. And like, I'm, I mean, ultimately, she is still like an action hero shooting a gun. But she's also like, for the most part, isn't like being dressed up in this overly masculine language and symbolism. Right. Like she's yeah. still pretty much just her. And like. I think that is actually so unique. Like that's weird in Hollywood storytelling. Well, this I is think- also one of those cases, by the way, where it's like 
this was so successful and yet no one anywhere thought to try to do it again is super disappointing um like it's just weird like i feel like i would have liked it if a lot of people were like let's just let's just keep going let's just take this trope further and see what we can do with it unfortunately ended up being kind of a one-off unless you count cameron Right, like you think about Linda Hamilton and, and yeah, that's, that's what I was about to say. I think Linda Hamilton's the only other one that, and also quite frankly, a very similar character arc between the first and the pre sequel, um, in terms of her representation within those films. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, it, I think it is it, weird. The more you think about it, the the like yeah. Terminator, are we uh, Terminator two? Just he's just running back aliens. Like, are we sure James Cameron's good? <laughs> What a strange! What a the, take! He just wrote the same movie again, Mike. I watched Aliens and I watched Terminator Two, and I was like, "Is James Cameron good?" I just don't think that's the takeaway. Um, but I digress. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's actually. Really, I just think that's a really astute point. I think even like a performance that we praise, like Fury Road, right? You're looking at a character who yeah. they go out of their way, you know, shaved head, arm like a robot arm, all this stuff, and it, it is definitely like. Of all the characters in the film, the action hero is the one who has been, like, robbed of all femininity possible, right? And yeah. all the other women, mostly the damsels, they become action heroes at the end, so that movie has its own message. This is not a Fury... This is our podcast on Fury Road. Uh, Mad Max... Hey, Fury, Fury anyway, Road. Um, <laughs> we already did a podcast on Fury Road. I just think that's <laughs> an astute point. That's all I'm trying to say. It both informs yeah, yeah. so many of the action heroines that follow her... And it's also still one of a kind. And I think that's probably yeah. the coolest thing you can say about the writing and the role. Totally agree. And, you know, on top of all of this, the smartest character in the movie. And that's really cool, too. I like, yeah. just just not not as, like, the feminine thing. Just as, like, the main hero being, like, the one yeah. who has it all together is such a good, good storytelling idea. Yeah. And just works really well. I'm on board. Um, I love so many characters in this movie. I honestly don't know who to talk about next. We should talk about Michael Bean, but let's talk about Michael Bean. Let's talk about the Bean Hive, Mike. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's get on it. Our Lord we already and Savior. Did, this isn't... So we did The, the Abyss? I'm and Terminator. What else? Is we that, did Terminator. Oh, we did do Terminator. Okay, so we've already maybe gone on about this too much. Having said that, is this my favorite Michael Bean role? Let me think. Hmm. Honestly, it could be. You know what I mean? I, don't like, know. I feel like this is... He, has the, he doesn't have as much to do as yeah. some of his other movies. But if you just want the most like, like highlight reel, he's playing the hero, but he doesn't have to be the lead to be like pretty charming and pretty right there and pretty engaging. I think that like, this is such a good version of that, right? Like he's not as flashy, but he's also the most like, just great, like not quite leading guy, but you know what I mean? Yeah, great, I like, do. First guy in a movie. Yeah. I think this is really it. I think that's right. Yeah, I think he he brings he brings a, a level of acting to this film that I think is much needed. I think in a lot of ways, all the characters outside of Ripley and him are tropes. They're just like walking, breathing tropes. And I think that yeah. actually is a service to the movie. I want to make sure I'm clear. That's yeah. not a bad thing. They're fun tropes. But it is say. nice yeah. to have a restrained person as the second lead of this movie and giving a restrained yeah. performance and a performance that at least has the guise of some internal world going on within them. Um, I think that adds a level of like a calm hand to the films, to that propulsion um, that adds a lot of balance that I actually don't think I even thought about until I'm started talking right now. 
Um, he really is a pretty Absolutely. excellent counterweight to the yelling of Bill Paxton or, you know, the over-the-topness of the Al Matthews, the quietness of, like, the Kerry Hinn, where he's both speaking, but he's also very reserved and clearly very in control. And I think that adds yeah. a layer to the characterization of the film that is uh, that benefits from a lot. I don't know if I've ever thought about that before, but that's an interesting yeah. part of what he's doing here. Do you agree with that? I think that's a great... Yeah, I totally agree. I think you could almost phrase it like he's the straight man, right? Yeah. So yeah. like Ripley is our point of view character. The other uh, Marines are kind of almost like the, the the circus hack that's keeping us engaged. Like there's just they have a lot of different things going on. But he's sort of as a centering figure, right? Which I think is also secretly why he's kind of just yanked out of the movie right before the third act, because in a sense, like he's too stabilizing of a force. We need to just be with the intensity of Ripley. Yeah. Yeah. Like we don't need that like great, great sidekick energy. It's just doesn't, isn't adding anything. Um, which again, smart storytelling, but he just does that really well. He embodies that really well. Uh, also, totally agree. Can we, can oh, yeah. we shout out the chemistry him and Ripley have when he's teaching her Damn. how to use that rocket launcher? Come it's on, a man. Moment. Better, you know, Hey, wait over, you know, better, or worse. Then the chemistry and writing, actually, this is an easy question. Then the chemistry writing of uh, Jack and Rose and Titanic. What do you got for me, Mike? <laughs> really? Who you going to give it to? That's where you Who went? You're going to give it to. Oh, I got, you that's know the, what? That is, hey, you know what? That is the most well-known James Cameron written romance. So I'm just saying. Yeah. yeah. If he had made Jack and Rose more like Ripley and uh, Hicks, or Higgs, you in? I mean, yeah. Def definitively, yes. But, um. I'm trying what to think of how the, the grenade Higgs launcher would Titanic. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out which, like, what if they remade Titanic, but the aliens were on the ship and Paul Reiser was the captain? Who or, says no, no? No, Paul Reiser was whatever uh, Billy Zane's character. Come on, <laughs> it it writes itself, great, John. I'm going to I'm going to get if, this out. Of what the if Billy and, Zane and... was Bert, John? <laughs> I'm going to get us out of the bit and also talk about the two. It's funny because you, you've, you've started to hit upon my favorite character. So the, my two favorite characters in the movie, let's just, let's just get out of the way. Besides, obviously, Ripley. Yeah, obviously, it's Ripley. But yeah. who's the most fun in the movie? To me, we have my boy, Bill Paxson, and we have my boy, Paul Reiser. Yeah. Bill Paxson in this movie is sensational. Out of control. And I mean that without a trace of irony. Out of I think control. he is the most fun character. I think he's the most, like... I actually think it's an it's an example. Once I found out this was going to be a straight thought, but I had too many of them. He ad libbed the game over line. What? Um, Whoa! Yeah. And I think once you learn that, it really points to the fact that like Bill Paxton was actually so overqualified for this small of a role. Honestly, like I think I think he brought so much more creativity to it, and something like that is so iconic. It's so brilliant. Like it's just such a good character and. And, like, because on paper, I think that character is like, oh, he's the scared Marine. But yeah. Paxson brings to it, like, so much pathos, for lack of a better word. So much, like, having fun with it, but in a way that's still true to the character. Not like he's winking at you, but he still obviously is going really far with it. Yeah. I just can't say enough fun things about it. It's one of my favorite characters. I'm, I'm always sad when he dies, but I'm happy that he goes out fighting. I think that's supposed to be his arc, right? Yeah. Is that absolutely. like by the end, he's not a coward. Like he he, fi he finally gets his guts and shoots those guys and then gets killed brutally. So yeah. tough times, but 
you love him i just love every time you're with the character i think he's great i love the knife thing at the beginning with uh with bishop yeah I love the way he screams I straight know. straight I up love bill paxton straight up john the only note i had for bill paxton was i love the face he makes when they're doing the knife trick that's it that's all i wrote um it just summarizes him say. he's awesome he is the best he is my one of my favorite bit characters and i mean that's not even a hot take everyone agrees with that Everyone knows by that. far but it's one true. of the it's best bit characters, just in any science fiction movie. Every time he shows up, he kills it, and this is probably my favorite of his. So, well, in an all time collab, like like minor side character collab with Cameron is just yeah. great, right? You think yep. about Terminator, you think about this, uh, Titanic. Like I, he just brings such a good energy to James Cameron movies. I I love him. Um, having said that. What I wrote next to Paul Reiser's name is secret sauce of this movie yeah. question mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's here's my pitch, Mike, and you can you can take it or leave it, but I actually pretty much know you're going to take it. Here we go. James Cameron knows that the existential dread of the aliens is not enough to sustain our emotional engagement in the stakes of the story. It's just horrifying, right? There and again, there's an existentialness to the aliens because they're so unknowable. Yeah. But Burke is so hateful he's so slimy he's so awful that he brings that human evil to the movie and gives you someone that you are so psyched to root against and i think that is like so critical again to the emotional engagement of the movie i think the second act like dies without this character basically yeah, like to get us from that first invasion all the way to that last action scene when it, when Ripley is going to rescue Newt we need the sustenance of wanting to see how things play out with this guy who is just like absolute corporate scumbag also shout out to James Cameron Hayne corporations good times um yeah I think he's so important in the movie and just does such a good he does such a good job I, I every other movie I've ever seen Paul Reiser in I just assume he's the bad guy no matter what the story yeah is. right I yeah, was like, obviously he's almost bad, right? never is. And that's the funny part. But yeah, he's, such a he's sweet usually, kid. he's usually a, usually a <laughs> lovely guy. Yeah. Probably a very nice person. But if I saw yeah. him in real life, I'd be like, I don't trust you. Get like, how, how dare you? <laughs> One percent. Eyeing him suspiciously um, from the quarter. He's like, yeah. it was 30 years ago. It was a movie. I mean, but can you ever really get over a, someone sending civilians to their death as alien baby sacks? I just don't think you can. I feel like that stays with you. You know, it's just like, I think it is funny how like, unimaginably evil that is and and again it's what makes it so great what all of the like he starts to try to talk his way out oh of my it, god and everyone's just like let's kill him when he when he says when he's like listen it was just a bad call ripley a bad call i'm just like <laughs> die 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 <laughs> like i want you to die <laughs> like i'm with you, you it, do it carries the second you gotta half. say though yeah <laughs> I, I gotta say i respect the hustle though that that <laughs> moment he's like i can still talk my way out of this it's so I got funny it. You know so what, guys? Good. We all make mistakes sometimes. What I and I do like, I'm gonna come down pretty hard on James Cameron's thematic writing, but <laughs> I fine. do find something endlessly fascinating about that character in the sense that he is so committed to like talk until he yeah. isn't, and then he's gonna commit the most like direct, dastardly act of violence imaginable, and there yeah, is like a switch around. that that just goes off in which he's like, this isn't working time for plan B and plan B is always horrifying. And I think as like a stand in symbol for like 
corporations, quite frankly, and for that kind of greed, that actually is yeah. incredibly um, just intelligent. That's an incredibly intelligent it's thematically insight. resonant. I never thought about that. I, yeah. I like that idea a lot. Yeah. So yeah, that's Un- that symbolic resonance of a lot of empty words and then horrifying action is like this is yeah. corporations in America. Um, I had two other actors I want to talk about. Lance Henriksen, just just great. Good yep. stuff. Love him. Bishop's low key, great. Low-key MVP in the movie. He's awesome. Yeah. I think, like, it's, a, again, getting to those small details that add so much characterization. It's not a big deal. You could remove it from the movie, and it probably wouldn't even be noticeable. But I really like that little arc of Ripley coming to accept, um, you know, accept the, the android, right? Yeah. Distrustful, hates him. He ends up sacrificing. I like that little speech he gives when he's like, believe me, I'm as terrified as any of you to go out there. But yeah. I'm the only one who can do it, so I'm gonna do it. Yeah, all you know what? All time locker room guy. You want him yeah. in your corner? Glue guy. My if man. I'm drafting someone from this movie, Bishop might be number one. Yeah, I'm with you. I absolutely. I mean, and I, what I like about him is he will die for me. Yeah, and he very nearly <laughs> does. Um, I just the only other person I wrote down is Carrie Hen, and partially uh, I wrote it huh? down out of a desire to defend her because I don't know yeah. if you're aware Mike but she has gotten some hate for this performance Weird. which is ludicrous because strange like as you know I, I even read a commentator or maybe like I saw someone on YouTube I don't totally remember but they actually were co- were like you know responding to some of the hatred she's gotten and like you know often people are like she just has a very dead performance and very empty performance and the guy was basically like yeah do you think she's maybe deadened and shell-shocked Almost as if the character has been living by herself after seeing all of her relatives horrifically murdered for like several months. What? What are you talking about? Yeah, like like what are we doing here? Like, yeah, it's a very weird kind of empty performance because that's the character and actually still has some emotional payoff. I don't know. I think that's ridiculous. Great child performance. Good stuff. You know, she doesn't have to do that much, but she does it great. I don't know. I'm there. Yeah, I mean, I literally, all I wrote was anytime a child actress doesn't ruin a movie, I'm immensely impressed. And to argue yeah. that she, like, brings she brings anything negative is insane. Like, do I yeah, think it's the weird. most amazing performance ever? No, it's a kid. It's a kid acting. I mean, it's yeah. always going to. But, like, yeah, she's shell-shocked. She captures that. She's traumatized. She captures that. She's learning to trust again with Ripley. She captures that. She She's fine she's good even you know so she has the coldest uh, she has the coldest moment of the whole movie when she salutes um bill paxton's character after ripley points out how how calm she is about uh, yeah the whole alien savage savage good times brutal takes well john i only uh, have one else a- on the actors yeah i yeah. got one more um and john i i just need you to play it okay I need you to cut in the YouTube video of Al Matthews yelling, I love the corpse and look into my eye. Uh, that's it. I, I sent you a clip, so you're good. Yeah, love it. Okay, coming back. Perfect. John, look into my eye. I mean, what? What a monologue. What a performance. My man, Al Matthews, is the greatest drill sergeant since Full Metal Jacket. My dude. I was just... Living the at dream. This exact second, loves the typing, <laughs> At this exact second, I was typing full, full metal jacket into my computer. 1987. Mike, this movie predates full metal yeah. jacket. 
You think Are, you think did Kubrick, we just hit upon something? Did you Kubrick, think Kubrick rip did a rip off, off James Cameron? Yeah, of course he did. Just like with the moon <laughs> oh landing, he God. did it again. He's always at it. You can't trust this guy. <laughs> you can't trust him. James Cameron shot a movie on the moon before it was cool. We all know. It's great. Love him again. I'm I'm always so sad when he dies so yeah. quickly. But yeah, he's that's so just like fun. truly one of my favorite monologues of all time. It's the best. Every meal of feast. It's just so good. It's so good. Cameron also just writes these characters really well. I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you look at, he's also has a weird thing for like soldiers in space. Like he it just does. comes up a lot. And, and I don't know what that says about him, but he's good it's at weird. writing it. So I guess it's strange. I guess we're on board with it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, sure. Good stuff. I love all of it. Uh, what else do you have for why this movie works, Mike? Um, I guess we can. My last one was about set design and practical effects. So yeah, I mean, that was mine. Production design kinda, was my last one. So go for it. Yep, we already talked about the F and Queen, but my goodness, its reveal, its size, those teeth, heads inside of heads. Well, it is important to note because it's the only original creature design in this movie. Yeah, because they obviously took over awesome. the. They did modify the alien, but um, that the Queen's entirely original and. And it's so cool, man. It's so cool. And it's one of those moments where you just like, like I I would get, I I would bet you all the money in the world, John, to go watch the new Ant-Man movie and then watch this movie and tell me which big bad is like cooler looking, is more realistic, actually feels like it would scare you. And the answer is not going to be the dumbass cartoon. In the Marvel movies, <laughs> it's gonna be this because this is like some Marvel of the coolest. Strays. Pra- <laughs> this is some of the coolest practical effects I've just like ever seen in an action movie. When that queen yeah, reveals it's, its full size and like I said, when it opens its mouth and the water is dripping off the teeth, you are like terrified. The scale yeah. of this thing feels so grounded, so real, and you are so excited to see how Ripley's gonna get out of this one. And all of that comes down to design and effect. And his willingness also, to go all in on these practical effects are so worth it. And this movie doesn't age a day because of it. Sorry, go on. No, no, it's okay. I, I, I 100% agree. I think I also really love, again, I keep going to these little story touches that are so, so critical in my eye. I love it's because it, it, it makes the rewatch. It's so rewarding on the rewatch. I love the little call forward earlier in the movie when Ripley is talking to Bishop. And they just kind of have that little, little exchange of, but wait, so where do the eggs come from then? Yeah. Because that's the mystery, right? They've, they've yeah. worked out the entire life cycle, but they're like, but at some point, something should be making the eggs. We don't know where that fits in the life cycle. And which actually, maybe this is for later. It is occurring to me. I'm not sure if the alien life cycle actually makes sense, but don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> Shut up. But that little, because like I said, on the rewatch, you're like, oh, that's what they're talking and it's so ooh, it just it just really preps you for that that reveal at the end and yeah it's so good it's so well made and then yeah i think in general just all of the production design this is what cameron's strength really is like i mean i think everything is kind of his strength but he's so good at this i actually wrote is this the pinnacle of 80s practical design you know the world is this kind of hellish planetscape that those hazy setting suns the dust storms it's i don't know it's like to me, I, I just don't know enough to know if this invented this kind of dark future aesthetic, like mm. almost grim dark, but not quite. Like, 
that it, it to I wrote it's weirdly evocative of the OG alien kind of dark metallic interior. Yeah. But it also builds off of that and it goes yeah. in different directions. Like we talked about the twisted sort of slimy alien structures that are what do they say they're built from the secretion and someone's like secreted from what great yeah. lot great moment yeah. um you know all of these even like the the industrialness of the plant and as you think about the end when when everything's collapsing and it feels like this factory sort of aesthetic again kind of evocative of the first alien but also sort of its own thing I don't know. I just think he was the best at this. And again, old person soapbox, but it that the practicalness, the groundedness of everything. Sure, it costs, you know, it took five times longer to make and cost so much more, but it's so worth it. Like it just, I don't know. You just, I just buy into this world so much more. Um, obviously, I don't think CGI is 100% bad, but I, I want that. If nothing else, I want the hybrid, right? I want yeah. some of this physicality to it. Because it just gives you, it's just something to latch on to. So, yeah, totally. The production design, maybe maybe the best thing in the movie. Like, I don't know. It's yeah. so good. Um, I guess I did have one other thing. The score is incredible. I don't know. I can't say too much more about it. But um, I do have some more things to say about it. But it comes up in Stray Thoughts, so I want to save it. But just on its own, like, it's a great score. I think yep. Horner knocks it out of the park, as he always does. And I think especially its use is really good, too. Like, you know, again, I keep going back to that scene where, where Ripley's gearing up to go find Newt, but I'm pretty sure it's either silent or just like a really like like low building kind of thing there. It just yeah. really amps the tension there. It, it doesn't yeah. overstay its welcome or anything. Um, anything else? Why this movie works? Yeah, I mean, I, I just shout out. I, I really want to shout out one thing that James Cameron does well in this movie. We've already touched on it some. But I think this also represents a pretty perfect balance of expanding upon lore without going too deep into it. You know, it's yeah, it's kind of like John Wick too in that regard, where you know you really sure. appreciate totally it, agree. where it needs to get a little deeper, like you were talking about, like the gestation cycle, revealing the queen, like how these things work in a little more way. It does a great job, but it doesn't go full blown Prometheus and like explain to me the origins of the cosmos or whatever. Um, I would. I would and, even say the the scenes at the beginning are pretty good for that too. Like I'm I'm pretty interested in like the future world yeah. and like the, the Wayland Corporation sure. and stuff. But yeah, he just gives you a little bit, just enough to to whet your appetite. But he, yeah. he's we're not going to explain it. We're not going to have the city shots. We're not going to like what's the government like. It's like no, we're just going to leave it up to your imagination. Yeah. What are these colonial marines marines against? Like I, I you know I don't know. It just kind of l- lets you kind of sets your imagination off you exactly. you have to think about it and figure it exactly. out exactly yeah yeah and it, and it does like and it does that to cool horror and action effects too you know my favorite shot of the film by far is the xenomorph coming out from the water behind nude it's like an unbelievable shot but that i love that been so hard i know pre-cgi like i have right? no idea how they did that well and but it's also such a cool moment because you think about it you don't know that these things could swim right you don't know they can go yeah. underwater oh, you don't God. know how yeah. they breathe and there is this moment where, like, you're not sure as she's sitting there in this, like, flooded area if she's safe or not. And then as the thing silently comes out of the water, there's just, like, a whole nother element of the mythology of these beasts that is revealed. Much like in the first one where it kills the people without eating them. 
James Cameron does not draw yeah. attention to this. He doesn't explain it. He doesn't over clarify it, but it does, like you just said, tickle your imagination about like, you know, in the first one, it was, what is this thing's motives? And this one, it's what else can this thing survive in and or do? And Absolutely. Yeah, what just are these awesome, yeah. awesome part of the movie. Totally agree. I'm, I'm totally there for that. Um, I guess that covers it, right? That, that's that's it. why this movie works. Yeah. How long Let's is your why, why this sucks. doesn't work section? Oh, it's I'm just, not. Yeah, I'm curious. Very Mine's little. Mine's pretty short. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So what doesn't work? I do not have that many things. I guess I only have really like three things, like mostly relatively brief. Um, a lot of this, the effects of this movie have aged incredibly well. We mentioned that. Man, that flyover of the colony sure looks like someone holding a camera, whooshing over some miniatures, huh? That's kind of the vibe. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes, I do. When they're, in the, when they're in the, it's like the videotape kind of thing, and it just yep. really, really looks like miniatures and like a camcorder, and is just yeah, yeah, not yeah, convincing yeah. in any way. That's um, that one's tough. There's like one or two shots, but that's the one that always sticks out to me. Almost just like every oof. outside shot of like a flying space vehicle looks bad. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, all of those don't quite yeah. don't quite yeah. land. Uh, that's okay. You know, it, it's fine. It's fine. Um, what do you got? That's my first. What does it work? Um, so like all of mine fall into a broad bucket of usual James Cameron bullshit. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jesus. Hey, in terms, I'm, I'm so nervous. Hit me. Yo, just this like, gonna be, this is going to be like my, I'm, I got to flex my apologetics muscles. Real yeah, quick. yeah. Yeah. The Lord is three and one. Anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> Actually, the Earth is 4,000 years old. I'm John Devine. Uh, yeah, I just think he has a couple of, like, just usual things in terms of script and characters that I'm not even sure are bad. I just, like, don't like them. They don't work for me, right? Sure. Um, and it yeah. usually has to do with how... Hmm, the negative part of me would say how little he cares about them in terms of writing <laughs> <laughs> and how much more interested he is in the action or the the set pieces or the design of the movie. I think a more um, charitable read is just that they're just like not his strengths or, or you could even say he's doing them intentionally and it's like a good thing. I don't think it is. I think he always has a lot of stereotypes, especially with his characters. He just like loves tropes. <laughs> To a flaw, like to a point that I find to be like distracting. And I love Al Matthews, but like there is a part of you that is just like, this no. is not how real human beings speak or exist or do anything. And I love that character, but it's still like, I, I, I'm always caught, taken out of the movie a little bit by how like tropey some of his characters are too. A really exaggerated enough, level. I do have a defense. Like I wouldn't really stick by this. I, I'm not going to die on the hill. Yeah. What I will say, and like, because I have to make this defense of Titanic all the time, is that it's like, yeah, on the one hand, I think that's totally accurate. On the other hand, tropes exist for a reason, because it's shorthand that a lot of people will immediately grasp. Yeah. Sure. And like, the fact of the matter is, yeah, you know, Al Matthews is not a very complex character, but also every single person watching this movie immediately gets that character, is immediately like, I understand what this character is and what his role is. So I don't know. You know, I think that's the trade-off, right? Yeah, and I, I do think you are correct. I just think James Cameron takes it to an extreme. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> takes it, it takes it to, it to like I another level sometimes. Um, I think 
obviously, like thematically, this movie is not subtle. It is not thoughtful. It has thoughts, but it, they are not ones that he, he like thinks you're an idiot. That's what I'm trying to say. You viewer are dumb. There is a, a line from this movie in which my boy Bean says, I don't know which species is worse. You don't see them effing each other over for a goddamn percentage. And you're just like, I get it, James Cameron. I get what hey. the movie's about. You didn't need to say that. And that's just like, again, it's it's his style. This is what he does. Yeah. And I, broadly speaking, don't think it's He's like a populist filmmaker. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But as someone, especially on like the rewatch, it does make me roll my eyes like while I'm watching it. And then finally, sure. John, you may have said that characters don't make stupid decisions, but the Marines still not taking Ripley seriously, even after they find the base floor melted to shit by acid blood, <laughs> makes no sense. Also, Ripley continuing to trust Burks makes no sense because she was screwed over by this company once already. Also, co communism is the answer. End of my soapbox. <laughs> so, do you have any thoughts about that? Again, these aren't like major issues. But they are very common things that I bump up against in Cameron's work. It's all I really want to say. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I essentially agree. I already kind of voiced my on the tropes thing. I do think the populism thing is a great counterpoint. Broadly yeah. speaking, though, I agree. I agree with all of that. I'm, I'm there for that. I only have uh, three more actually, but they're really, they're really brief. Uh, this first one, you know, I don't know how much we're gonna have to say about it, but. It's mentioned other places, and I do think it kind of sticks out. And it's worth noting, uh, Jeanette Goldstein does great work in this movie. But she is, in fact, a Jewish woman playing a seemingly Latin American oh, woman. Oh, no. Who I am, like, 90% sure is wearing bronze skin tone to darken her up a little bit. Oh, kind no. Of Kind of weird. You know what I'm talking about, right? I can't think yes. of the character's name. I didn't write it down for oh, some reason. But, but no. yeah, that's Jeanette Goldstein. She's a, just a Jewish woman and wearing a weird skin tone. So little weird. Let's just say it. Let's just say it. Vasquez. Thank you. Private Vasquez. Um, kind of weird. Also, though, great. Like, she's also actually weirdly a Cameron recurring character. I don't know if you know that. Terminator hmm. 2, she's the mom. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The yeah. mom who gets. who. Yep. Yeah. And then. uh titanic she's a kind of a small role but she has she's just like a passenger with two kids the mom that is it's actually a really sad scene do you remember when the ship is sinking and there's a little cutaway shot of all of the characters that are kind of just going to die and there's a, a mom putting her kids to sleep and telling them that they're going to be fine like as you see water starting to come in under the door wow. that's her mm. yeah tough role wow. actually she does a good job but bubber role but uh good stuff she comes up a lot at any rate, kind of weird in this movie, play Vasquez, but hey, she has some great lines, so I guess who cares. Um, personally, this one's quick because neither of us watched it, and I haven't seen it in years, so I, I can't comment on it very directly. There is a director's cut of this movie that's 157 minutes long, so very nearly three hours. Um, Ugh, no. Personally, I'm not a fan of it. A lot of people love it. In fact, a lot of people prefer it. I think Cameron says he prefers it. To me, as opposed to The Abyss, which we talked about the director's cut being virtually essential because yeah. it, the theatrical cut just cut out one of the most important scenes of the movie. Um, the director's cut of this movie, I think, does add some context, but also kind of kills a lot of the pacing, in my opinion. A lot of people disagree, uh, but I'll just say I haven't seen it in years, so I can't speak too directly about it. But from what I remember of seeing it, it was just so much slower and, and like 
made like an impression, especially in the beginning of the movie, made it uh, a little bit slower. Um, yep. Last thing I have for why this movie doesn't work, vis-a-vis the ending, I choose to believe Alien Three just doesn't happen. It's too depressing. I, I just <laughs> genuinely, for me, canonically, Alien Three does not happen. I'm just like, yeah, I, I just refuse to believe anything after this. Like they just they get back to Earth. It's great. Ripley lives a great life and dies. Because it is like it's it's incredibly dark. The beginning of Alien Three. I haven't even seen the whole movie. I've just seen like half of it, and I thought it was really bad, so I stopped and read the Wikipedia page. But yeah, it's just kind of a bummer, and I I just really hate thinking that that's what happens. So I just imagine it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I also hate thinking that they got David Fincher to make an Alien movie, and this is the best they could do. But um, I'm with you. I think it uh, did. I think it did set him on an interesting path, though. It almost so made him quit Hollywood. the quit the entire industry. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is like he so hated uh, the experience that he's just like, I'm not doing that again. Yeah. So man. I don't know. I think it's interesting. Yeah, um, so that's your favorite Alien movie. Do you have any other thoughts on the Alien sequels? I feel like we should do oh, that Oh, yeah, And, and yeah, what yeah, doesn't work? Yeah. Uh, all of them. All of them don't work. I have literally all never of- seen one. There is a strange poop, like group of, of film buffs who I actually respect deeply who like love Prometheus. And I was I about think- to say, you're not even there for Prometheus. I haven't seen any of them, actually. Here, because here's of, maybe my because take. of you. Here's my take, John. Your ill recommendation, yeah. Prometheus is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life, and I'm never gonna stand by that take till the day that I die. Uh, it's not as bad as Aliens Three, but it's not good. So yeah, I kind of think the future ones do this weird thing where they either like lean into an absurdism that doesn't fit the film universe, sure, like Aliens Three, or they lean into like a mysticism that over explains like the cosmic nature of this like species in the story sure. that also feels like it doesn't fit what makes these great because what made these great was it was a horror film with a master like big bad on a spaceship in the middle of nowhere small scale yeah. very terrifying or it was an unexplainable hive mind swarm that just c- could soak up all the bullets in the world and were absolutely horrifying when they truly got like your scent but the unknowableness was the key yes was the, that's where everything comes from yep yeah. that's where i was exactly where i was going with that but it's the fact that i never know what they are or what they'll do that made them exciting and all of these films ruin it <laughs> i'm so bad the, from what i know having not seen them so my opinion doesn't really matter here but I've heard very similar things, except you are right. I've heard a lot of people who love Prometheus. I think we're both thinking of Sean Fennessy for at least one person. Oh, um, call out! Wow. <laughs> you did. You don't want the. You don't want the direct call out. You're, that's bet, too much for you. I bet you. I bet you. Uh, Tyler likes Prometheus. <laughs> you think Tyler likes Prometheus? We're gonna he just have, seems we have like to ask he him. seems like a Prometheus kind of a guy, you know. Things like Prometheus Defender. Does that say something to you? If someone like you learn about them early on, like they they really defend Prometheus. I mean, no, because it's not as bad as I probably think it is. If I rewatched, I'd probably be like it's fine. I just think it's it takes what is a banger action and horror franchise and just gets like fart smelly about it. You know, it just yep. gets like philosophical and highfalutin and being like, oh, we're so smart. Uh, and you're just like, this isn't what this is about. This isn't why I came. This isn't cool. Like, jack up another franchise. Make your own franchise. Ugh. Anyway. 
I'm like old man which yelling is at class now. Which is a doubly funny comment because, uh, you know, we're never going to do Prometheus on this podcast. So we might as well just talk about this now. Um, I, I seem to recall that there is a whole like media thing of, am I, am I right in this? That, that uh, Ridley Scott insisted that Prometheus was not in the alien universe. Oh yeah. What a joke. Uh, leading up to the movie release what a clown car the, you know what you know the all-time example of that which just so didn't work and i actually kind of like this series of movies but this was just the wrong call was the second star trek movie of the i'm yeah. sorry of the new star trek movies like the fact that everyone it's as not soon as you saw Benedict cumberbatch yeah we were all like hey that looks like con and they were just so insistent so, so intensely dumb. insistent so like it's not con it's stupid. a new character and they just kept on reiterating that. And of course, in his second scene in the movie, he's like, I am Khan. And I just groaned in yeah. the theater. I was yep. just like, I was like, I wouldn't have cared. Why did you make a big deal about it? You could have just said, yeah, whatever, he's Khan. I'd be like, cool, I'll watch that. I don't know. I don't care. Good times. Mike, I'm not sure if we're going to keep any of that because it was kind of a sidetrack. It's a lot. It was <laughs> I loved fun. it. I loved we'll every see. moment of it. We'll I feel see. strongly about uh, everything I've said. I'll get this in the stray thoughts. Here we go. Stray thoughts. Uh, this is pretty much what it says. We're just going to go back and forth. We each have eight, right, Mike? Eight? I have seven. Okay. We have eight-ish thoughts. That way we'll go back and forth. <laughs> uh, since apparently we're uneven, I guess I'll go first. I think that would make sense. Sure. Whatever. Um, you know what? My first one doesn't, like, I feel like we already covered, so maybe I don't have eight. For someone who makes billions of dollars from movie conglomerates, James Cameron sure likes to hate on corporations, huh? <laughs> just a funny, just a funny little thing. Like he's he's maybe the most corporate director from a certain perspective. From another perspective, he's one of the least corporate directors. You know, like it's kind of this weird inter like exchange of he's making them billions of dollars, but he's also not really in their system. He kind of does his own thing. Um, but man, he hates them. Just keeps coming back to it over and over again in all of his movies. He's like, man, corporations are evil, huh? Kind of want him to go all out. I want Avatar 3 to be just a retelling of the Communist Manifesto, but set on Pandora. Yeah, but but also like halfway through, I want one of them to eat like a Reese's Pieces and be like, this is great. Peanut butter and chocolate. <laughs> yes. I don't know. <laughs> great. Oh, how dare anyway. You. Okay. Uh, this is pretty simple. Kind of wild that these mother effers still smoke cigarettes inside of a spaceship 50 years later. <laughs> I feel like Man, we had this just, talk with even... <laughs> Honestly, I think even if you asked him, I feel like he would say, yeah, it just kind of looks cooler. Like it just yeah, works for the, it just, <laughs> it just works for the characters. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Does it? It's weird. I just thought, I thought they would have learned. It did take us 50 years after like, you know, figure out that you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying it's true it, it you're, you're not wrong um i'm gonna see i don't have this isn't a story thought so i'm just gonna really quickly build off of that one too uh one of my sci-fi like pet peeves i guess this is just a story thought now as i'm saying it, i'm realizing it's just becoming one so i'm just gonna make it one here we go on that note mike uh this is true of the first alien too and i don't know I don't know. Like one of, I have two pet peeves when it comes to sci-fi. And as great as these movies are, they do violate both of them. One, sound in space always bugs me. There's no sound in space because there's no medium for it. Two, artificial gravity that has no explanation. All of the all of the spaceships have artificial gravity for some reason. 
And it never really gets an explanation. We're just kind of left to wonder why they can just walk around in space. I don't know. <laughs> would, it have been, would this be a better movie if they explained that? Of course not. It'd be way worse. This is why James Cameron's a better filmmaker than me. I'm just saying, though, it's a pet peeve. It bugs me. I don't like it. I don't like it. Noted. Noted, John. <laughs> do you do you not have I, anything on that? Is that just yours going to no, leave out there? I, I'm with you. I'm right there with you. I don't really know what else to say. Does it? Is it something I want? No. But do I want to complain about it? Yeah. Really? We should just call this section like the worst version of internet commentary. You know? <laughs> just like... There's nothing behind it except just no. compla- just shouting into the into the void. Uh, oh, I got another one. I got another one for you, John. Uh, yeah, this me. is this is. I, I am afraid that this is on your list. So I'm sorry if I took it from you. But the the myth story, potentially true story, of how our boy James Cameron got funding for this movie Damn is it. probably my favorite me. Hollywood story of all time. Okay, we have the same amount of stray thoughts now. Steal it. Go for it. This yeah. Is yours. Oh, is my God. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so James Allegedly. Cameron. Uh, you know what, John? No, you told me this story. You go. You go. You go, John. No, no, no. You got it. I mean, I only have the one part of the story, which I think is the most important part. Yeah. This is also allegedly. This is not confirmed. But allegedly, Cameron is trying to sell, you know, pitch the studio execs on this movie. Part of his pitch involves going to the board, writing the word alien on the whiteboard, and then adding a dollar sign on the end to make it say aliens. And I just want to say... Legend! I, I don't know if that says more about the way that Hollywood execs make decisions or about the way that James Cameron pitches things. I think it is worth noting that's not the only way that he pitched the movie, so they probably get too hard no. of a time on it. Nope. But it is I'm, still pretty funny to imagine that having any impact on anyone. In my here. mind... It is all the bitch. It was the whole bitch. They literally said, "We're you son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> that was it. There it is. Okay. Right, I'll, I'll do another one. I'll do another one real quick. Go for okay. it. I just wrote this. Huh. They really do turn the whole acid blood thing on and off, don't they? <laughs> Very selective, the acid blood. Very selective. Yeah. Sometimes it sprays so bad it melts a face off and burns through the ship for 80 floors. Sometimes no one seems to notice as they blast Sometimes it with they just kind of get blown up. Yeah. <laughs> just interesting. Not a lot of consistency with that one. Yeah. Um, I, I can't disagree. You're, when, you're, when you're on it, you're on it. Um, this is kind of a fun story. Ridley Scott was asked about aliens at one point. Um, he said, and this isn't even dramatic. This is why it's a stray thought, because it's actually just a super, super lovely little comment. Quote, unquote, it's always a tough job to follow a successful film with a sequel. Uh, so what I think James Cameron did was an excellent action picture. It really was amazing what he accomplished. There's also no question that Cameron made an excellent film with aliens. It really isn't an achievement. Jim loved Alien, adored it. I would never, ever critique or criticize Aliens. I think it was very successful, and what he did was very good. Love, Love that. It. Just Hell super yeah. on board. Doesn't He doesn't try to make weird connections. He doesn't try to one-up it. Do you know who I always think of in Night of Light with that um, weird catching strays moment? But Jack Nicholson, like, really, for some reason, like, hated on Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah. Do you, do you know that? Like, Wild. there's all these, yeah. like, he yeah, made all these disparaging comments about it. I it remember. was very, like... 
it was very like hey relax like you know like yeah just because yeah. someone comes along and kind of does another great thing in the same vein as you you don't have to freak out about it he could take yeah. a page from ridley scott a little bit here it's all yeah saying. it's isn't it interesting how many choices in our life are just like hey don't just like choose not to be a dick in this moment yeah just, just that's chill, it you know just it's like okay. choose not to just choose not to suck anyway um weird uh weird resonance with with our last episode of the podcast in terms of tough times with composers james horner called working on this film quote unquote a nightmare his schedule <laughs> yeah. was so tight for the music that the climactic battle between ripley and the queen had to be written overnight cameron oh, first heard the score while it was being recorded and he didn't like it, but it was too late to make changes. So all of this, I guess I forgot the context. All of this is because the, the production went so late. Cameron, this is one of those like- A James Cameron, Cameron horror, movie? Horror what? story movies. Yeah, I know. So everything was going late. He had no time to write it. The synth-inspired tracks of the Terminator allowed changes to be made very quickly when Cameron had made that. But he had no experience managing orchestral music, which is why he didn't give him enough time to write it. Um, because of that, Cameron also cut the score up. He used pieces where he thought they were best. Uh, he inserted pieces of the original Alien score and hired random composers to fill in gaps because he didn't have Horner for the whole time. Um, Horner basically heard the score in its final state when he watched the movie and was so angry because there were so many parts that hadn't been used. His score had been used in all these different ways. He had made this stinging, alien sting sort of sound that he thought would be used once that ended up being used constantly, um, and he hated it. Uh, so, But funnily enough, happy ending to this whole story. Horner vowed never to work with Cameron again, but they eventually made up and worked together in Titanic, which actually went pretty well. So, you know, kind of a happy ending to that. I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, I got my own... Out. Got my own Cameron nightmare to bring up, and this might be my favorite straight thought tidbit ever. Yeah, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read this straight from the quote. Filming was tumultuous as Cameron, a Canadian, was unfamiliar with British film industry traditions such as tea breaks, which interrupted production for up to an hour each weekday, making him frustrated at losing hours of filming every week so apparently Perrin, uh, Cameron responded to this by trying to like deny these things and basically got into a near legal battle with like the union of the people he was working with and there's something about James Cameron throwing like a shit fit about tea breaks that just feels like so unbelievably on point for how I imagine uh, him as a person so that's all I was gonna say it's like heartwarming it's like what you imagine his film sets are in a, <laughs> yeah. in a platonic world <laughs> it's so perfect it's so on the nose um actually it's funny i rem there's a great documentary about this movie uh on and i think it's free on youtube but i i had seen it a long time ago i remember that anecdote but i totally forgot about it for this podcast yeah it's, uh, lots of nightmare things with the making of this movie but hey he got out so cool um it is weird it's slightly uncanny i should say how many shots and sequences of the spaceship coming up to and flying down to the planet are like one-to-one -one remade in Avatar? Hmm. Just a weird note. I might be the only yeah. person in the world who like has watched Avatar enough to notice that. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's just like a lot, like it's just literally the same shot, but like with the new futuristic ships and Avatar and just like the old 
you know, 80s practical stuff in this movie, but just kind of the same shots and sequences. Don't know why. Kind of interesting. Kind of a stray thought, I guess. That's why it's here. <laughs> That's good. I liked it. I, I have never seen Avatar enough to notice anything like that, but that's the, yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. yeah, well, whatever that's, you, you know do what? you. That's, uh, that's your loss is what I'm going to say. Fair enough. Um, man, given the alarms that she's been sounding, Ripley asking Newt where her parents are might be the most tone deaf thing I've seen in any movie ever. Like Jesus Christ, Ellen, read the freaking room. <laughs> That is such a good point. I have never thought about that, but like, I just got to believe that's not on the uh, treating a shock victim 101 like, no. like top sheet. Right? That's a miss. Like, ask that's them about a... their obviously recently. Dis- it's not like she's gonna be like, oh yeah, they're fine. They're over yeah. there in that room. She's it's like, living no, in like clearly went wrong. A cage in the middle of like a fan, like an industrial fan center, and it's like, yeah. hey. Where are your folks at? <laughs> what? Not the time. Not the time nor the place. I think the only um, counterpoint is that they are still technically looking for the colonists. So I guess maybe. No, that but really again, doesn't make sense. This is it? why I bring yeah. in that she's the one being like, they're all dead. <laughs> like everyone is dead. Tough times. Tough times for Ripley, the trauma response uh, coordinator. Yeah. Um, this one's kind of cool. The screenplay for this movie, obviously written by Cameron, famously really good screenplay. Like, actually, like, just well-known as a very good action screenplay. Uh, it opens like this. Sometime in the future space. And, and so this is the first thing it says. Silent and endless, the stars shine like the love of God, cold and remote. <laughs> Against the- them drifts a tiny chip of technology. Closer shot is the Narcissus lifeboat of the ill-fated star freighter Nostromo. You what? may not be on board, but That's I'm there awesome. for that. That's awesome. That's amazing. For a, for a script to this kind of movie, I'm like, I'm just That's over the so moon. You read cool. that and you're like, I want to know what's about to happen. His scripts are like famously really good, actually. That's so amazing. I feel like that yeah. just is really like, right? You're on board. Yeah. Um, good times, man. I actually haven't read the script. But I've I've always wanted to. I only get a few pages. Scripts are pretty boring to read. Yeah, I'm not about it. Not about that life. Um, but you know, great start to it. I'm intrigued. I'm in. I keep reading that. I, that's awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I got two more. So next one's also Newt related. Newt tries to abandon the Marines with Ripley like every five seconds in this movie, and it's really funny. <laughs> She's like, yeah. "Let's get out of here." And like about the third time, I was like, "Jesus, Newt, like stop, <laughs> Newt, maybe maybe relax a little bit." I feel like we, I feel like this is a better situation. Yeah, tough time. It's times. great, but just great. You know, trauma trauma victim. I get, I get it. it. You know? I'm not judging. I just think it's really funny that she's like, "Forget these dudes, let's go." <laughs> like, you know, by the way, we never did mention how great the the face hugger scene is in the little medical bay. Great, uh, great yeah. action scene. Yep, good yep. stuff. Um, I don't know how this possibly happened, but this is my last one. I don't cool. know where we went wrong at our counting or great. whatever, but yeah, we're good, I guess. But here we go. Um, this is a question, Mike. More influential, and and it's funny because I think like I don't know this this could be a complex question, but it could be easy. More influential on the quote unquote space marine trope. Ooh, James Cameron or Warhammer Forty Thousand. 
I think there's a right answer to this, by the way, because it's it's well, it's you have to I look can't. at them a little bit differently. So I, I like I truly can't answer that question because like I don't know what anyone knows about space brains outside yeah. of me. And <laughs> I I'm a war I play Warhammer forty K, so I like that's where my brain like the term space marine brings to mind person in like ultramarine suit, armor, shoulder right. pads. Very specific image. But I don't know if that's true for anyone outside of like the in the larger culture. So I, I'm gonna pass. So, I, but I wanna hear your thoughts on it. Because you asked well, this question you know so what? you can it's answer funny it. Because that's your you actually sociopath. gave Right, right. It's funny because you gave the answer I was gonna give. Like I think you're on the money. I, I worded it like this. In popular imagination, I think James Cameron's version of like space like like soldier is kind of there. But the phrase space marine in nerd culture and, and to a certain extent in online culture these days, like more quickly puts me in mind of Warhammer 40k space marines, right? Which is a very different thing, but like still evokes the idea of soldier going through space fighting stuff. So they're very different, but like if we're just saying the idea, like who puts the idea in people's brains more? Average person, James Cameron internet nerd or just nerd in general probably warhammer 40k i'm gonna give him the edge i think that that is now getting more traction i'm saying this as someone who has never ever interacted with warhammer 40k except for watching and reading lore stuff for hours and hours and hours over the years that stuff is intense it's crazy i get into it yeah. um Good times. It is wild. But yeah. It's insane. It's absolutely like depraved and insane, but it's great. Oh yeah, it's all go watch if anyone's out there, just go watch some Warhammer 40k lore stuff. Start with yeah. uh start with the Emperor, I think is the coolest character. Oh, in the it's whole, insane. Yeah, in go thing. read about the Primarchs. Search up Emperor yeah. and the Primarchs and just read their backstory. In twelve hours from now, you'll be like, What what just happened to me? You'll, you'll probably you'll be, be like, Why cigarettes. did they recommend this? And why have I <laughs> why have I read what happened to my life? What I, what was I supposed to be doing today? It's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. For the Emperor. Uh anyway. Uh my last one. And John, this is gonna hurt you. And I don't mean mm. to do this. Mm. But is Hudson the literal worst person to ever be stuck in any level of bad situation with? Okay. You we love need to him. make a distinction because <laughs> like I think that the 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 answer is unfortunately yes, but what's also true is that is Hudson the character that I most want to be on any of these things assuming that I get to then watch it as a movie? Yes. I want every movie to have Hudson inserted Fair. as a character. Fair. Responding to events as they unfold. But I you, think you, you and I have everything. had conversations about the, the exact person where you're in a mm. hard situation and they keep bringing up why every option is bad without actually <laughs> offering solutions. Is that Hudson's not Hudson? the all-time example we, of that. Yeah. Yeah. And we, neither of us like those people. So I'm, I'm just intrigued at why this person tickles your imagination and fancy. <laughs> you know, I think it's just because he's fun. I think it's just because... <laughs> In the context of the other characters responding to him, I'm just I'm there for it. So I'm surprised wanna, they don't kill him. I, I wanna I wanna stick with this for one second longer. So what you're telling yeah, go me for it. is that the kind of person who makes you beyond furious when you have to deal with them, you like watching other people have to deal with them. Yes. Is that the thing? Hundred okay. percent. Mike, you've just described why reality TV works. Are you kidding? <laughs> like, like 
like you don't want to hang out with these people but you'll watch other people get annoyed at them 100 yeah. percent. that's a great time we're that's just, just a solid afternoon we're all just coming to realize that we're all low-key sadists and that's that's, yeah. that's okay that's fine that's how i mean that's the premise of horror movies to a certain extent is like how i don't want to do this but will i watch someone else do it 100 percent. sounds like a great time how dare you hate me all you want but you know i'm right um anything else spike on uh straight thoughts through this movie look into my eye all right well i think that covers it for straight thoughts uh we're gonna take a quick break and then come back with uh maybe some dialogue about the movie So, Mike, for this section of the podcast, we usually try to dive in, uh, you know, just to expand on some element of the the theme of the movie or, you know, you know so, so try to expand on, on maybe the something happening here. Sure. This movie is maybe a little bit like wearing its themes on its sleeve. Right? What? I don't know if we can. I don't know if there's that much more to say about like, hey, maybe corporations are evil. <laughs> um, hey, maybe motherhood can be empowering. You know, I, I just think it's all kind of right there. It's good themes, but they're just kind of right there. Honestly, the thing I'm most curious about and what, what I'm curious to ask you about, we touched on this a little bit, but maybe the single most revolutionary thing this movie does is it follows up a tremendous work of originality and it recognizes that the only way to follow that up and really properly like justify you know having a sequel having a, a next step is to make it totally different right mm. and it's such a weirdly underrated part of of creative storytelling and is something that i think is like vanishingly is like worryingly disappearing in the in the whole age of cinematic universes like the one thing that we definitely don't do is change tones yeah. on follow-ups. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even when they do, like everyone made a big deal about like, uh, you know, thinking about Marvel, which is a punching bag for obvious reasons, but you know, thinking about Marvel, it, you know, if you think about even like Endgame and stuff and everyone's freaking out, like, Oh my God, it's, you know, it's so much darker and it ends in this depressing place and blah, blah, blah. Is it Endgame or is it the one infinity war? Sorry. Is what I was thinking of. Even within that, the actual like moment to moment tone of the movie is basically the Marvel movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For sure. They don't really take risks in how they present things. Yeah. And I think what Cameron hits on here and, and he is a funny example when you think about Terminator two as well is again, just that, that clear recognition of why would I follow this up by just doing the same thing? If there's one thing we don't need in the world, it's another movie that's doing what Alien is doing because Alien does that so well anyways, right? Like I said, it doesn't justify its existence if it just retreads the same ground. Um, so I guess I'm curious, first of all, what you think about that just in terms of creativity in general and sequel works in general, but then also specifically how this movie accomplishes that and, and what that speaks to in terms of what Cameron's contributing, like how he gets us to that place with this movie. Yeah. Um, so any of those, if you want to go ab on. Absolutely. No, I, I think it's, it's like super on my mind recently in both the pitfalls of this and like the success of it. 
um, because I think there's just been two dramatic examples of both like a failure and a, a wildly ambitious and, and just kind of like perfect success story. And so the, the, the failure I'm going to go ahead and start with is Ted Lasso. And, you know, mm. when, so mm. Good example, and I'm, yeah. I'm someone who loved the first season of Ted Lasso. And I do think it was like yeah. overhyped. I think the first season came out at just like a good cultural moment. So it probably got like too much attention, but yeah. broadly speaking, I, I really appreciated the positivity of it. I really appreciated the, the leaningness into like the kind of sentimentality of it. Um, I thought it, it succeeded in a lot of ways that like TV was not doing in that, that moment. Right. And yeah. what was so interesting is you watch them in the second and third season wrestle with this exact problem, which is if we make a second and third season that are the exact same, what is it doing? Like, what's the purpose? What are we adding? What is the what's the point? So what they mm -hmm. did was they made essentially a dark, not successful version of like prestige television show yeah. out of Ted Lasso. And I just think that let's was let's take our our famously feel good show yes. and make and give it dramatic stakes that are decidedly not feel good stakes. No, and on issues yeah. that are quagmires often that they do not really engage well or ambiguously. Anyways, so what I I get out of that though when I when I because I've been reflecting on this, they just ended and and I would say I was pretty disappointed with it. But what I what I really feel from that in terms of this conversation is. It's someone who did try to make an ambitious swing of like same setting, same concepts. We're going to change it in these dramatic ways, tonally um, and execution wise, but in ways that did not either acknowledge or, or shows even a lack of awareness about like what made it fundamentally successful or unique in the first place. Right. Mm, and I do yeah, think that's absolutely. something about these, these successful sequel stories is they still maintain a core. They still maintain something that was effective from the original, whether that's the xenomorph or whether that's the idea of this unknown beast that is like constantly changing, constantly surprising. All these things that the xenomorph introduces kind of like existentially and broadly as like a, a, a villain is still in the second one. It's just used for different purposes, for larger purposes, for different kind of genre directions. But it still maintains mm -hmm. that core. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, that's absolutely. where the, the successful innovation comes from. And that's kind of what a show like Ted Lasso absolutely just misses. Because what they do is they lost the heart of it trying to be something different. And then ultimately they did nothing well. That's kind of my hard take on the show. <laughs> the other yeah. example, though, the positive one, and I won't say anything about this because I know you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I know yeah. what you're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> but the new, the new Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse movie is exactly this. It innovates on the things that I was awestruck by in the first one but tonally and thematically introduces almost an entire differently or different genre of storytelling than the first one was willing mm. to grapple with. And it does so to an amazing success. But again, yeah. what we're getting at is the same thing. Characterization, um, key elements, key exciting parts, key visual language, all these things that were core to the original, it still maintains even if it builds upon it, but it doesn't throw it out with the trash while still directing, yeah. redirecting maybe the direction to which they are used or the purposes to which they are used, or even more importantly, maybe to the emotions that they are used to draw out of us. And I think that's what yeah. makes them different and exciting as sequels. Does that make sense? I totally, it totally makes sense. And I, I, I think that's really astute. I totally agree with you. I, I think the word that keeps coming to my mind is like 
you, it, you can, you know, I think there is obvious. So like the, we agree that retreading the same ground is a problem, but if you're going to make it something different, I think the word I keep thinking of is response. It has mm. to be a response to the first movie or to the first work. It can't be like, you can't just think it needs to be different. So now I'm going to make something wildly out of character. You yeah. Know, that that like doesn't a really slapstick comedy involving the xenomorph. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It would yeah. just be, it would just feel like it, it, you would just think like this director didn't even see the first one. It would just, yeah. it would feel like a betrayal of what the, the idea of the series was. And I think that is the line that's so hard to walk because it takes real critical understanding of why the first piece works so well. Um, and we've already said it with this movie, but you know, Cameron understood the, the existential power of the Xenomorph. And this movie brings in a lot of new stuff. Like the corporation thing is kind of there in the first one, but much heavier in this one. Obviously it's bringing in action. It's bringing in the, you know, it's changing the Ripley character a lot, giving her this maternal sort of arc. So it's doing a lot of new things. But like you said, that heart of the story of these unknowable things that want to kill us, that are, that are primarily terrifying, is, is unaltered, is just totally kept. Yeah. And that's why it works. And, you know, uh, just to keep on the camera train for a second, Terminator 2 literally reverses the story because we're taking, you know, the the crazy, intimidating Schwarzenegger Terminator, but this time making him the good guy. So it's literally a reverse, but also clearly understands the magnetism of the character from the first movie and, and just says, but what if I twist it? But I, I'm still I'm not discarding it right mm -hmm. even as i'm i'm using it as material as fodder for this new adventure um i think honestly that is why it's so rare is that it's just to to address the themes first presented while still thinking of something new and original is just difficult like yeah. uh, you know i couldn't do it for a lot of these i think it's just really hard to find that balance because like we were saying, if you go too far in terms of I want to be new, I want to be different, you're just gonna you're just gonna lose the heart of it. You're just gonna not make something that engages people who cared about the first property. I'm struggling to make this connection work because these sequels suffered from both being too similar and too different. But from weirdly, one of the first ones that comes to my mind is actually the Matrix sequels. Mm, and yeah, specifically, sure. I think they're too similar in terms of style, style, stylization. Um, took me a while to find that word. They're too similar stylistically. But I think the funny thing is, like, the thematic arc of the movies is just totally different from the thematic resonance of the first movie. It's just literally like a different kind of movie. They just don't care about the, the ideas they raised in the first one. And I honestly think that's the biggest problem with it. I think everything else aside, the weird dialogue, the strange setting, the strange characters, the stilted, you know, whatever. I think there's a lot of issues with those sequels, but the biggest issue with them is that you don't feel the connection, the through line from the characters and motivations of the first movie to the second two movies. It just feels like different characters and different and different motivations and different themes. Um, so I don't know. I think like that is a, such a hard line to walk and it's so easy to err on one side or the other, which is why often people just don't and they just kind of remake the same movie. But it's so cool seeing it done effectively here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, one second. Are you just think? 
Yeah. No, I'm thinking, one second, I'm trying to figure out how I want to respond to that. Um, I'm trying to think if we should end it there or if I should take it. I, yeah, it's I, up to you. I do I, have I, I think it th- could work, but. So let me, let me weigh you on this. So the, the, the yeah, route would it. be talking about that on like a personal level. So talking about like, yeah, that's mm. why this is so hard kind of a thing. Um, so like being like, yeah, well, it's hard because like it, if you think about it, like on a personal level, it's hard to like, we have to identify not only um, why something was successful that we did, but then adapt it to like a new context. Right. And like, yeah. so there's a level of self-awareness kind of, um, on like what was successful, but also on top of that, the like creativity to then take those lessons and apply them again. So I'm not sure if that's like, is that a rabbit hole? That's just growth and the way of how like growth and reinvention, you know, sort of like you can't do that without having an awareness and response to who you actually were. Like you can't just fabricate an entirely new self, you know, kind of the recovery side of things maybe. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's, I'm interested in that too much. I also probably wouldn't have a response to it. Like, I think you would just have to do that and then end it. If that makes sense. Yeah, because I just wouldn't have anywhere to go. Um, let me, I'm just gonna do a short one, then we'll just close on that. I was gonna suggest like that. I was gonna say I, I think what we what where we just ended can work. Like I think that's perfectly fine as an ending. So why don't you just do it? And if it's cool, if it works, like great. And if yeah. not, like whatever, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think what's so interesting about this conversation is actually like, in its core details, like it's super relatable, you know, Mm. it's incredible. Like if you think about what it takes to make one of these successful, it's actually asking a lot. It's asking you to be able to like reflect and distill a something that worked for you into it's like core pieces of what was, was successful. What, what was it that made this great? That made this uh, a benefit in your life or in your world and your work with your profession, whatever you want to say, you have to be able to like discern already. Like what about this was actually successful, it, which is already hard enough. Cause like our first instinct as human beings is actually usually just to repeat what was successful, right? Just to do the same thing yeah. over again, because that's like, we're the Run dumb animals that we are. So it requires like a level of forethought, a level of, of, of reflection. That's very hard to do a level of distillation. That's very hard to do. And then also you then have to take those lessons and then reapply them in a new direction and make them fit into a different context. And like, that's just one of those things that when you say that out loud, it sounds simple enough, but I think if any of us took moments to think about our actual lives, when we went through a period of change or when we had to learn about like how to apply one of our strengths to a new arena or a new area of life, it's actually just incredibly difficult. And it requires a level of self um, awareness and a level of growth and then a level of like intention that I actually think is incredibly hard to muster, which might be why many of these success stories, actually going back to what you were just saying, John, many of these success stories actually come from another director coming in and making that sequel effort rather than say the Wachowskis trying to make their own follow-up because someone like Mm. Cameron coming into someone else's success probably was able to distill down why it worked on him better than maybe Ripley would have been trying to figure out why he thought it was successful as the person who like controlled and made the thing. It's almost like that outsider view actually can get to the heart of it and then repurpose it maybe a little bit easier than someone who has an attachment or even like a creator's mind to the original work. I don't know if that's true, 
But it definitely does highlight to me like why this is so hard to do in our own lives. And maybe that is like a good hint into why it's so hard to do creatively in a field like this too. Hey everybody, thank you again so much for listening. We do have one question that we've each prepared for each other before we end the podcast, but before that, we want to let you know, on the next episode, we're going to be discussing Annihilation. Yes! The 2018 sci-fi... So Wikipedia, Mike, for if you're curious, says science fiction psychological horror. Checks kind of broad, out! But I think pretty... Yeah, that, that, that works. <laughs> that checks uh, out By Alex Garland... Starling, Natalie Portman, and Oscar Isaac, and I guess a lot of other people, but that's who I remember most. Um, oh, yeah, this was an early test Thompson, too. I forgot about that. Yeah, man. Uh, man, I'm excited for that one. Movie Go rules. watch that movie. Closest to... Oh, that would be kind of a spoiler, so I guess I won't say that. Nope. We'll, we'll save that one. You'll see next episode. It has the most screaming um, bears of any movie you've ever seen. <laughs> great, great time for screaming bears. Apex Mountain for them. Uh, final question. Mike, this one might be a little bit on the nose, but I'm okay with that. Out of all of the Space Marines, who most typifies your expected reaction to this situation? Oh, if I plop Mike into my this, God. Don't tell me. Yes, don't this is me. the exact question I have. What? <gasps> no. Oh, this is no. just saying, are we just horrifically uncreative? Is we this are just so a takeaway? Stupid. <laughs> okay. Um, I it's mean, a beautiful thing for our friendship. It's a crummy thing for the integrity of the so podcast. Let what me, are we doing? Let me let me let me give you two options, and I'm going to ask you which one you yeah. think. Mine yeah. is either the marine who's the leader who has never been on a patrol before, or Al Matthews. <laughs> and the reason I say one of those two is, couldn't you see me being the utmost confident until things start going sideways, and then I'm just I like, think- uh, guys, guys. Guys? guys, and then I just dies, and then everyone dies, and it's kind of my fault. I think that's the that's the appeal of the the drill sergeant for you is, yeah. is like I do see you being like you've really got this under control, and then you just get ripped through the ceiling and you're gone, and it's like okay, well that was that. I think you really to typify that energy, but the 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 leader in the car. I don't see you going totally to pieces like that, though. I think yeah, better you than that. I appreciate that, John. I really do. Yeah, that means yeah. a lot I to me. I just see you getting ripped through the ceiling and never being heard from again. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. honestly a step up, though. Right? And I am, I am often let down by the people above me in organizations. So. <laughs> Ultimately, he. I guess I never thought about it that way. He really was let down by every every single person around yeah, him. Yeah, remember when he's like trying to listen to this idiot over his earpiece and it's what gets him killed? Because he's like trying to listen to this guy who's like, uh, don't shoot because of the nuclear reactor. Uh, and he's just like, excuse me, I can't hear you. And then he gets murdered. Good times. I think that is that really is how you would go out. I think that's <laughs> I think that's perfect. Um, I think it's it's hard to it's hard to miss the fact that like I am a little tidy scaredy cat. So it's hard <laughs> to miss the connection to Higgs. I'm not wait, is it Hicks or Higgs? Hudson, I feel Hudson. like they're both in this movie. Talk about Hudson. Hudson, excuse me, Hudson, yeah. right, right, right. I, I, the H is confused me. Too okay. many H's. It's hard to miss the connection to Hudson. That's It's it's tough, but we just got to be real here. Um, besides that, though, and like it, both of these, just I'm just I'm not saying a lot for myself, and that's tough times for tough times for your pal. But 
I, I feel like one of these sort of nameless Marines who don't really like second guess anything or just like, yeah, whatever, I guess I'm on this and just die very quickly. Yeah. I just feel like most likely probably that's what I'm pulling. If not that, then maybe Hudson, um, maybe the, like if I'm being really generous, I think maybe I have the pilot's energy kind of not really in the picture, kind of just doing my thing, trying to be a professional, um, make the wrong call. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> just like, what are like, your coworkers hey, that, that is like, Hey John. Nothing, and then that goo was my death. And yeah. I think that's, that's maybe the energy I bring, but I like to think I fight to the end and she fights to the end. So good on her. I'm going to, I, I want to be the pilot. That's what I'm saying. There you go. I guess I, I, I do like the, pilot, the idea but, of what your coworkers being like, John, there's this very concerning thing. You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you like, we deal with that all the time. Gets you killed. And then, it, <laughs> and then that is decidedly not what happens. Also gets my coworkers killed. So yeah. tough times for me. Tough time for John. Um, I think we got it. Mike, anything it? else for why alien work? Uh, aliens yeah one more thing uh, look oh, into my eye title too yeah what a what a cop just like like we're making a sequel just call it aliens who cares yeah. you're not even gonna think about this one they should have kept the money Good sign in. <laughs> imagine he just made the title with the money sign i i'm telling you it would have been better but that's would have been great thank you all so much for listening as always i'm jonathan divine joined by mike overstreet look into See my eye So, John, what is Aliens about? Wait, wait a second. We have to talk about Aliens for two hours? Two hours? Hey, Mike, I don't want to rain on your parade, but we're not going to last 30 minutes here. <laughs> what, are we supposed to just do Avatar bits that whole time? We don't have that much content. Uh, that's, that's freaking great now. What are we going to do? We're in deep crap now, man. That's it, man. It's game over.